Well, it is good to be back with you. The last couple of weeks, we have had uh, some of the, the mission work that we support kind of share some of the, a, a report of, of their work. A couple of weeks ago, we had Ben Marinas from EEM, and it was good to hear how even during uh, the pandemic that, that God is still alive, God is still active, God is still on the move all across the world. And that's sometimes something that we, we lose, we miss, because we get, we get so fixated on the, the current events that we miss the bigger picture of what's going on. So it's good to hear Ben, and uh, last week was uh, uh, Merle, the Bible Chair Director at, at Amarillo College, and, and you know, they are having to expand their building because the gospel is producing fruit there on that campus. And it's good to hear of that work. And I have been on vacation the last uh, two weeks, and some of you have asked if we went anywhere, if I did anything. And uh, this time we didn't. Uh, the, the pandemic kind of interrupted summer plans for us, much like many of you. And so kids were in school weren't able to, to go anywhere, at least uh, outside of the city. I spent my two weeks doing this, if you'll put the, the picture up. Um, this was my view for two weeks, uh, about three times a day, uh, somewhere around five to seven miles almost every day, walking. The, we were, were one of those parents that, that got a dog during this. Uh, I don't know what we were thinking. And uh, we didn't we kind of did all of this backwards. I, I know, Dick, you're, you're a dog guy, and, and some of you, you're, you're pet people. We are, are not really pet people, and so we didn't really know what we were getting into. We didn't research into the breeds at all, and uh, so we, we, we just kind of thought, hey, a beagle's kind of cute. It's relatively small, and what I have learned is that a beagle is what is known as a scent hound. Scent hound that they are driven by their nose. And this is literally my view the entire time. Her nose to the ground, tail up in the air, just smelling everything. It doesn't matter how many times we've walked the same path, she is sniffing everything around. And it's fascinating to me how she, she gets so focused on what is right there on the ground that she misses some pretty interesting things all around. One day on our walk, we were coming to a street and we were following the sidewalk and making the curve and underneath a bush, just two feet away, there was a bird that was just sitting on the ground, just stationary. And Penny never even looked up, completely missed the bird because the nose was to the ground. And as I spent time reflecting on that, I realized how often we can do that. That we can miss out on things that are very meaningful because our nose is to the ground. For some of us, it's, it's work. I know that, that some of you are, are teachers, educators, and, and, and you're having to, to 
learn how to, to teach again in this environment with new tools and, and a new uh, set of requirements, and it just completely flips everything upside down. Some of you are, are business owners, and you are, are struggling to, to figure out how you're going to continue to pay your employees and, and how you're going to survive all of this, and your nose is just to the ground trying to, to, to make progress. Some of us, it, it's, it's our life stage. That you find yourself being a caregiver that is just demanding so much of your time, whether that is a a little child or many of you, you're having to care for uh, spouses that that are are sick, that their health isn't great, or some of you are having to care for parents, and and you kind of launched your own kids, and you kind of thought you're going to have more time, and all of a sudden, time is just shrinking even more. And your nose is just to the ground. And you add on top of all of that what is going on in our culture and we have an election and, and you, we continue to hear that this is the, the, the most important election of our lifetime. Every single election. It's always the most important election of our lifetime. And, and we start to, to get into these debates and we, we, we feel like the whole world hinges on making sure that everything falls the way that we believe that it should. And I wonder if because our nose is stuck to the ground, if we aren't missing something significant, something very meaningful. As I said previously, we're going to begin to study the book of Revelation, but we're going to kind of break it up into two parts because if we just covered it all together, it would uh, string on just endlessly. And so we're going we're gonna to just focus for the next eight weeks on Revelation uh, 2 and 3, the, 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 the letters that, that Jesus writes to the churches. And I want to begin there because I know that this book, for many of us, it's something that is overwhelming. There's all of this imagery and, and all the, these, these beasts and dragons, and it's, it's intimidating. And, and so this is kind of the, the section that, that it makes a little bit more sense. It's a little bit easier for us to digest. But in this section, Jesus makes an appearance and he has a message for a church that is facing times not unlike ours. Times that are troubled and they're wondering how how the kingdom of God is going to continue to function in this world. And Jesus has a a letter that he's going to write to the church. Let's begin with Revelation chapter 1. I want you to open your Bibles with me there. We'll pick up in verse 9. We'll, we'll go back in January and pick up uh, the, the parts that we're skipping over here in, in Revelation 1. Beginning in verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. 
I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels or the messengers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. John begins this letter by giving some context that, that he is on the, the island of Patmos, that, that he is a fellow sufferer. We don't know exactly what led him to being there. What most scholars believe is that he is, he is under some form of imprisonment, that he is exiled to the island of Patmos because of his faith in Jesus. See, we live in a, a culture where it is still accepted, acceptable to believe in God. But the Jewish people, the Christians in the first century Roman world, they were considered atheist because the Romans, the, the, the Greeks, they believed in, in, in a multitude of gods. And so to suggest that, that all of those are just myths and that there is only one God, they, they viewed them as atheists. And in a culture where, where your trade, where government, where everything and religion is intimately tied together, they viewed that kind of heresy very seriously. And in his old age, John is, is now talking about experiencing this suffering, which, by the way, the gospel and suffering always go hand in hand. Jesus talks about this consistently whenever he was here, that, that you would have to suffer, that you would have to experience suffering if you were going to follow him. And Jesus writes to these churches, whose worlds are, are now being flipped upside down. And in the midst of suffering, we begin to throw out questions like, what's wrong with the world? But behind that question is, is a darker question that, that we want to know, what is wrong with God? What is wrong with God that He's allowing all of this to take place? 
And in the the book of Revelation, you have described kind of the, the, the battle that is taking place behind the scenes of everything. And the word revelation, all it means is, is an unveiling. It's, a, it's a, an uncovering. So the, the entire book is, is simply uncovering the battle that is, is, is taking place. And whenever Jesus speaks to these seven churches, he is in, in essence kind of giving the, the, the marching orders locally for these seven churches. And what we'll discover as we walk through these seven churches is that evil is not so much something that's out there. Evil is something that is among us. It's, it's in us. You remember Jesus telling the story of the Pharisee that that goes to the temple and prays in Luke chapter 18. He says, I thank you, God, that you didn't make me like other people, like robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector over here. The Pharisee is looking at the world around and saying, evil is all out there. And Jesus uses this man to say that, that actually this man is going to go home and he's not justified. Because he's missing the fact that, that evil is something that resides in him. It's among us. Whenever you look at the message to these churches, Jesus will have words of comfort to offer to them in their trials, but he'll also challenge them, saying things like, but I have this against you in Revelation 2, verse 4. I have this against you, that there is evil even in your midst. Miss, Mrs. Turpin is a self-righteous woman in Flannery O'Connor's short story, Revelation. And after experiencing a bad day where everything just seems to crumble around her, she goes home to her farm and as she's feeding the pigs, she, she looks out over the farm and cries out to God, Who do you think you are? And then the echo off of the canyon comes back to her as she hears her own words. Who do you think you are? The story ends with her seeing the vision of, of all of these people that she thinks is beneath her and they are, are walking up the, the ladder to heaven and they're marching in front of all of the people that she thinks are righteous. I don't know if you've ever noticed that in Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, as he prays for his disciples as he prays for the church that would be formed out of his teaching. He prays for protection so that they may be one. That's an interesting connection. It's not so that they may survive. It's not so that, so that they can just endure, but so that they may be one because the the devil works inside of us, in our midst, just as much as he does outside in the world. And it's not just the world that needs to hear a word from God, but it's the church that needs to hear 
a word from God. So Jesus provides this revelation. He pulls back the curtain. And what we will see, first of all, is the, the lordship of Jesus. Ultimately, this is what the book of Revelation is about. More so than it is about anything that's going to happen in the future, and more than, than the rapture, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Because the church needs to see who Jesus is. That He is the Lord and Creator of all things, and He has no equal. We are told by science, I believe it's the second law of thermodynamics, that every, everything in this world has an equal and opposite. The young people in this room, you may, may remember playing the opposite game. So I, I just want to engage in a little bit of an exercise here. And, and, and young people, I need you to pay attention because I, I need you to help uh, those of us that are older. We've forgotten how this, this opposite game is played. And so I, I'm going to say one thing, and I just want you to say the equal and op opposite. Up. Down. Okay. Left. Evil. God. What? How is the devil the, the equal and opposite? The Bible says that, that God has no equal. He may have an enemy, but that enemy is no match for him. And whenever John is describing the, the, the man whose voice he hears, when he describes Jesus, we kind of get lost in the details of the, the, the white hair and the, the bronze feet and all of this stuff. What he's doing is he's borrowing language from a vision of, of the, the Son of Man in the book of Daniel. This is a, a prophetic language. And what all of this means is Jesus is Lord of everything. That's why Paul would write and say that in Christ all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. Jesus reveals Himself in Revelation 1 as the first and the last, the living One, the One who, who death cannot hold. He has no equal. Revelation describes for us this Lord of the, the universal church. I think Norman Geisler is correct whenever he helps us to see that, that the, the letters here in Revelation 1, and 2, and 3, that, that they help us to see not just that, that Jesus is the Lord of the universal church, but he's, he is Lord of the local church. If you'll allow me just to, to get on my soapbox for just a moment. 
in, in church, whenever, in our, our churches, whenever we appoint leaders, I don't know that we do an adequate job of doing it differently than the way of the world. The way that we do it is we tend to, to look at people that are successful, people that have risen to some amount of leadership in the business world, that they, they are wealthy. Whenever we hire ministers, we want to know the degrees that they've had. We want to know the su- success that they've had in other places. But whenever you look at Scripture, those things don't seem to matter. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 writes as a fellow elder to other elders and encourages them to to take care of the flock that that God has appointed them over. And and then in verse about 3 or 4, he says that whenever the chief shepherd returns... What he's describing is, is that the, the shepherds, our local shepherds, they are in fact under-shepherds. That their authority, it, it solely resides not on their wisdom, not on their business acumen, but on their willingness to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. And I am thankful that, that we have a group of men here that, that you may not always agree with them, you may not understand why they do what they do, but I can tell you as one who sits in the room almost every time they meet that these are men that have surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus in their life. And they may not get all, everything right all the time, but what they want to do more than anything is to please God. And whenever we talk about becoming a member of the church, it's really not uh, about joining as much as it is surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. Not just the, the Lordship universal, but the Lordship local. In this vision, Jesus doesn't just want us to see His Lordship, but He also wants us to see His companionship. Notice that where the Son of Man is in relation to the lampstands. And this is one of the few times in Revelation where, where John kind of gives us the interpretation of a vision. Uh, of certain symbols. He tells us what this is intended to mean. The lampstands are the churches. And where is the Son of Man? Look at chapter 2, verse 1. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is not some corporate structure where where Jesus is so far removed that he doesn't understand anything about what's going on locally. But Jesus is walking among the churches. He knows every single letter begins with, I know your deeds. I I know who you are. Some of you may have played the the game Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. The actor that that has been in so many movies uh, that that you can name anybody, any actor, and then uh, 
based on the, the roles that he has played, kind of make a connection through the network within six steps. That, that game comes out of this belief that regardless of how many billions of people there are on this planet, that we are all six degrees away from anyone. read an article last week that uh, Microsoft actually, in uh, looking at much of our uh, internet correspondence, has actually confirmed that to be true. Actually, they, they discovered that, that we were, uh, on average, 6.6 degrees away from anybody else in the world. That somebody in your network, somebody, a family or friend member, an acquaintance of yours, that that you can connect with them and you can, within seven steps, connect with anybody in the world. That's kind of neat to think about how small our world is. But Jesus goes even beyond that. In Christ, we don't have God that is six degrees away from us, that, that if we just know the right preacher, if we, if we say the right prayer, if we do this just right, then we can get access to God. But Jesus is walking among the churches. I like this prayer that is attributed to St. Patrick. Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. Do you know the Christ who is close enough to be called a friend. I know that the last several months have been trying for many of you for a variety of reasons. It's one of them. We don't like the the idea of wearing masks. A lot of concerns, questions about that. One of them is that our face, it identifies who we are. If, if we're covering up our face, we, we essentially become anonymous. We, we become a number. That's why I like what Steve Martin did. In trying to address one of his biggest concerns, he, he created a, a sign that he would wear on his head with, with his name, Steve Hart, Martin, and, and a big arrow pointing down to him. So that everyone knows who this is. No one wants to be a number. Everyone wants to be someone who is known by their name. That's the old cheers jingle, right? Do you want to go where someone knows your name? Revelation unveils it it uncovers who god really is that he is someone that is close enough that he knows the trials the tribulations that you are facing you've got mail and it's not a message for the world 
What I want to invite you to over the next seven weeks is to, to lift up your head long enough to see Jesus and to read the words that he has for you. Some of it will, will make us feel good. Some of it will make us very uncomfortable. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that you would, you would know us. That you would search us. That you would know the depths of our hearts and not just the, the performance that we put on in front of people. Help us to know without a doubt that, that you are sovereign. That this world is not careening out of control, but, but as, as Colossians says, that, that, that you hold all things together in your hands. That without Christ, that, that, that this all would fall apart. And help us to know, to really know, that you know us. That we can trust that whatever happens, that you are working for us, that you are working in us, that you're working in spite of us. I pray that, that we would see a clearer picture of Jesus Christ and to see nothing else. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Dusty's picked a song of invitation. A, a song of surrender to, to have thine own way, to, to, to allow God to, to do what He will with your life. And that's the invitation. If you'd like the prayers of our shepherds, they'll be at the back of the worship center. If you'd like to surrender to Christ this morning, we are ready to receive you as we stand and sing together.